the nation station Faster Mike, good afternoon. You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. I'm Dolan Mercer, here with you until two o'clock. Aaron Ibanez and William King join me and are on hand to relay your thoughts and contributions. If you are listening live, we'd love you to get involved. You can comment on anything you hear or you can ask questions to our guests. You can text us on 166-177. You can email studio at manxradio.com. You can use the hashtag MRPerspective on social media. Following more than two hours of debate on Tuesday afternoon, Tinwald backed the establishment of an independently-led, dedicated climate emergency transformation team. Here are a few brief extracts from the discussion in the court. So the first part of this amendment deals with the target date, replacing the 2050 ambition of the government with a more ambitious target date of 2035. Honourable Members, I urge you to support this amendment which sets out a clear message, but also provides for a pragmatic approach for independent development and oversight of a proper action plan and statutory targets. Mr. President, I beg to move. There will be no applause from the public gallery. That is simply not permitted. And I'm sorry, it will not happen again. The one thing that we do seem to differ on is just the date. I just don't feel today is the day to put down the date. We have got a policy, but the idea of bringing in a recognised independent chair to, to lead that dedicated climate emergency transformation team is the way forward. Those who have pushed and cajoled government into more action have won through, and I congratulate them for their persistence on this matter. One of the more noticeable features of the climate change debate is that it evokes an emotional response from participants in such a way that they are often unable or unwilling to listen to a different viewpoint. It's a bit like Brexit, really, a wide variety of opinions, truths, half-truths and statistics upon which no one can agree. In the past, we've had actions, we've agreed to do them, and then they've put off. It's a bit too difficult, we'll wait until later. 2050 is a backstop. If we haven't taken significant action by then, if we haven't reduced carbon emissions to net zero, we may not have a future. It's that stark. It's a backstop. There's a plethora of people who have that expertise. It won't be cheap, but then we know it's going to be expensive, but at the expense of what? If we don't do it, there are much more heavy consequences. There has been an element of them being defer or government and you as depending on which way you're looking at it and i think that is breaking down and we're starting to see some form of consensus here which i'm very pleased to say i just want to make the argument in here that a date is important a date is an important thing that we should include and that's why i i think we should be supporting mr hooper's amendment for me, I'm not sure I have strong views about the concept of a particular date. Um, and if we, if we do have a date, then perhaps 2035 is as good as any. In all honesty, the only realistic date is yesterday. There's a huge amount of synergy between them, actually. They've both got statutory targets. They both declare a climate change emergency. They both have transformation teams by different names, but the, the key is there. They both have independent chairs. 
Uh, and I don't for one minute think that we would appoint someone without the relative expertise to Mr Hooper's amendment. I think that's uh, uh, ridiculous. Um, they both have a climate change action plan by the same date. They both have climate change bills. And all these are absolutely essential. I think there's unanimous support for all of these points. So the only piece that is different is around that aspiration of a 2035 aim. Irrespective of what happens today, don't be disappointed because actually, as has been said many times today as well, both of those amendments are just about exactly the same, give or take a play on one or two words. We had ambition in one, we had aim in the other and a date in the other. But actually, we all want exactly the same, the same as the people who are in the audience to hear, young and old, which is to get on with this as soon as possible. That was some extracts from the discussion in Tinwald on Tuesday. Ultimately, the move by Ramsey MHK Laurie Hooper, which aimed for net carbon neutrality by 2035, failed to carry under the combined vote, with 10 votes for and 23 against. Douglas North MHK Ralph Peake's amendment was unanimously approved, 33 votes to zero. Well, uh, Mr Hooper joins me in the studio. Um, Good afternoon, first of all. Good afternoon. Um, Just... A quick reflection on the debate this week, first of all. Several members of Tinwald, uh, Miss Betterson, Mr Crookall and Mr Peake, for example, um, said the main difference between those two amendments we saw was over the issue of a target date by which the island would aim to become uh, net carbon neutral. Um, are, are, you, are you disappointed that a, a date wasn't agreed at this stage? Yeah, I, I think I am, really. Um other jurisdictions are managing to, to, to declare themselves, actually, this is when we aim to be here by. Uh, it's quite disappointing that as an island we can't do the same thing, um, really. The, the, the reason that seemed to come forward for not putting a date was they didn't. They, there wasn't enough evidence, they don't have enough information to be able to make a decision on whether that date was uh, achievable at the end of the day. And, and I think that just shows that there was a fundamental lack of understanding amongst a number of members uh, and, and the ministers specifically, uh, because we have a, most of this information already when they put together the last climate change strategy back in 2016, uh, which again, Mr Peake was, was driving. Uh, they actually had independent reports done, they're all available uh, on the government website. They had a lot of work went into that strategy and I think the evidence hasn't changed, the information hasn't changed. What's changed in the last few years is our realisation of just how urgent and how important this has become. So to, to have to wait another kind of nine months now to get uh, some more independent evidence and more reports seems a little bit unnecessary when we, we really could have made that bold statement and said, actually, you know what? We know this is the right thing to do. We know this is the right thing for the Isle of Man, so let's let's go ahead and do it. Uh, and the reason that 2035, that I picked that date, uh, partly it's because uh, during the last round of, of evidence gathering, uh, that was the date that was recommended by some of the independent experts back in 2016. Uh, but also it's the date that ties in with... Uh, when our power plant could potentially be decommissioned, so turning off the largest single polluter, uh, the largest single emitter, rather, on the island. Uh, actually, it all ties in quite nicely with that's probably the earliest we could do it. And so, from my perspective, I was kind of trying to set out that ambition and saying, well, 2035 is probably the earliest we, we could do this, so let's let's aim for that. And then if we end up missing it, we end up slipping. We do have time then to build in kind of a contingency plan up to the, the backstop date, I think it was described as, of 2050. Whereas if we're, we're not targeting, I'm not saying we're not going to get there till 2050. If we're, we start slowing down, if we start missing targets, if other things happen, which will do, it's, it's 20 years away, 30 years away for 2050. Of course, things are going to happen between now and then that are going to shift our priorities. Um, we might miss that date entirely. And then where does that leave us? Uh, you know, even, even though we are only a small in the grand scheme of things. Uh, it leaves us on in this uncomfortable place where the international community has moved on a set dates and the Isle of Man is, is lagging behind and I don't think that's somewhere that I, I want the island to be. 
Um, some some members voiced concerns that the 2035 date was just arbitrary, I think was the word that was used. Um, I mean, you've sort yeah. of gone some way to answering this already. Why was that selected? Like I say, in, in part, uh, I, I was quite disappointed, actually, that it was described as arbitrary. It did really show that the, the lack of understanding that was there, actually, by those members that were making those claims. And it was quite disappointing that the Environment Minister seemed to be one of them. Uh, 2035 was chosen for for those for two main reasons. The first being, uh, if you look back at some of the the work that was done uh, back in 2016, that was a date that came out and saying, actually, it's not just a date that we should be aiming for. That's really the date that we should be doing, irrespective of whether it's achievable or not. That's when it has to happen by. Uh, and the second reason is because it was tied in very heavily to the potential decommissioning of the power plant. So we all know that the power plant's been heavily bond funded through debt. Uh, the repayments sort of we now in the middle of the 2030s, the uh, life cycle. Of the power plant, same middle of the 2030s. So the MUA are going to have to be looking at potentially replacing that power plant with something else, uh, ideally uh, something renewable, uh, by 2034, 2035, 2036 anyway. So it fits in quite nicely with with what their potential plans might be. Uh, and I think one of the, the risks now that we haven't agreed that date, it gives the MUA a bit more flexibility to say, well, let's, let's keep it living another five years maybe, let's keep it going another five or six years after that date, which uh, it, again, it may be in their thinking, may not, I don't know. Uh, but from my perspective, it really is important to say, to put a marker down, put a stake in the sand and say that's what we're aiming for. 2035, absolutely achievable. We've we've already seen the figures, we've seen the evidence, we've seen DEFA's own projections as to where we might be at that date. So we know it can be done. I think it just comes down to do we have the political will and the leadership to make it happen. Um, you've mentioned a bit sort of earlier on about some comparisons with other jurisdictions. Um, what, just for a bit of background, what are the targets that, um, that that have been set elsewhere, and 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 how do they sort of compare to to what we have on the Isle of Man? Uh, some of them are, are like the UK have set themselves the 2050 target, which is what we have, uh, which is obviously quite slow. We've got countries like Finland that have declared 2035 already, um, but the closest comparator for us as one of our main competitive jurisdictions would be Jersey, and Jersey have already declared a 2030 date for their um, their carbon neutrality target. Now, Jersey have obviously got a bit of an easier. Uh, way of having it than we do. They've, their circumstances mean that they'll be able to, to do things we can't do to hit that date. Um, but when you're looking in in this international uh, perspective saying actually where are the opportunities for us as an island? How can we leverage some of the, the uh, transition to a zero carbon economy to create jobs and bring people to the Isle of Man? We're going to be competing with jurisdictions like Jersey and if they've already gone ahead uh, and announced actually we're going for this full steam, 2030 is their date, uh, for us to turn around and say we're fine, we're going to take a slow track on that. Really I don't think so out the right message at all. I'm trying to think back to the first sitting. Um, I think it was Mr. Shimmins who was talking about the comparisons with Jersey yeah. and, the, and the competition with with um, a very much a comparable populace, if you like. Mr. Shimmins then um, went on to, I think, vote against your amendment. Yeah. Um, Ten voted for, twenty-three against. Um, were there any surprises in there for you in terms of how how people's allegiances went? Uh, no, actually, um, I think. Going back a month, uh, if people had just stuck with it, uh, we would have been absolutely fine. I think the introduction of this kind of middle ground um, get-out clause for the council of ministers, which is essentially what the amendment was, uh, to give them a bit more breathing space, to get a bit more uh, time for the pressure to ease off on them, which is what I think will happen now over the next six to eight months, is they'll be able to, to step back from this. Uh, that gave uh, that release valve, and a lot of members, I think, felt oh, rather than pushing too much, we'll, we'll go for this kind of middle ground option, which, like I say, was quite disappointing, but not a surprise, I think. I think the one thing that I would take away that was positive, though, is I don't think anyone 
in Timwell Court was in disagreement. And we all agreed something needed to happen and this needed to be done. It needed to be done uh, urgently. It is important. And uh, it was just, I think people were finding different ways of putting that pressure on government. I, I think it was it was Alf Cannon that turned around and said congratulations to the people that had pushed and cajoled government, I think was his words. Now, from my perspective, you shouldn't have to cajole government into doing what's right. They should be doing it anyway. Um, but the fact that uh, these two amendments were tabled really was just two slightly different approaches to how you cajole government into doing what everyone thought really was the right thing to do. Thank you very much indeed, Laurie Hooper, to start with. Um, we're also joined, just very briefly, um, former MHK, former Minister Phil Gorn, who uh, I've, I've persuaded to carry on for a bit for us. Um, your reflections on developments this week, um, is, there, is there reason to feel enthused by some of the debate, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in the fortunate position now of not having to, to, to toe any uh, sort of government lines or any of that sort of stuff. But I do understand why government always uh, works a lot slower than perhaps uh, most people would like, including many ministers. <coughs> um, inevitably, government works at the speed of the lowest common denominator. Um, it's, it's almost inevitable, anyway, that that's how it, how it happens, particularly in our consensus style of government. Uh, if you don't have a party system with you know, people with a clear message and a clear um, mandate from from the public, it's hard some you know, to, to to gather enough uh, support to make um, strong and bold statements. But the positive uh, is that the chief minister did recognise that this was a climate emergency. Whether he uh, he he did that uh, of his own free volition or whether he was pushed or cajoled, as, as suggested by uh, the treasury minister, is. Uh, only for you know, the council ministers to know. But it's great that the whole of Tynwald have supported that something should happen. The, the fear I have, both as a, a sort of an, an activist and someone who cares very passionately about this and as former minister uh, responsible for, for these sorts of policies, is that the speed with which we're talking about, I mean, 2050, uh, by, by 2050, what will I be in 2050? Um, I will if I'm still alive, I'll uh, be eight, older. I'll be 85, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, by that, uh, you know, that's a, that feels like a long way away. Um, and um, will I, but by that time, you know, if if perhaps the big push happens in the last few years, which is often the case with uh, with uh, you know very very lengthy uh, uh, deadlines. Um, you know, the, it'll be far too late to be making changes by then. Um, added to which, you know, if you if you set yourself a five or ten year program to convert all the all the properties on the Isle of Man to uh, either zero carbon or very very low carbon, that is achievable, and it is achievable in five or ten years time uh, if you're prepared to to put your money where your mouth is. Something like fifty million pounds a year leaves the island to go to the to its sort of source, which is the the fossil fuel production centres, whether that be in Europe, Russia, or the Middle East. That money leaves our economy forever, every year. Fifty million pounds in that sort of region just to heat our homes, which are leaking the heat back into the environment. Now, whether you're a, a Stu Peters total cynic uh, in, in relation to uh, climate change or or not whether you like me and pa passionately believe that we need to do something um, there's a basic bit of economics here uh, what on earth are we doing wasting 50 million pounds worth of, of, of money that could be being spent in the Manx economy uh, if government invested 
50 million pounds to convert all the homes or, or to, to encourage people uh, to, to convert all, the, all their homes on the island. Um, if they invested that 50 million now over a five year period, told people over this five year period, this is the last of the money. If you do it in five years, you'll get a really good bit of support to make these changes. And thereafter, you will, if not halve, uh, you probably more than significantly halve your heating bills. Um, even if we only manage to save 25 million of, of that money that leaves the island every year, 25 million pounds extra being spent in the Manx economy. Over a course of 10 years, Alaman government would very quickly recoup its 50 million investment. And thereafter, we're all making savings and spending the money on uh, other things in the Manx economy. Um, it just makes loads of economic sense, both for the Manx government and individually for for homeowners. Uh, why would you want to spend money uh, heating the outside of your house? Because effectively most of the, or a lot of uh, energy in some of the poorly uh, insulated homes just goes straight out the windows, uh, straight out through the roof or through the walls. Why not get them insulated? Uh, it just, uh, I, I can't for the life of me understand why we're not doing that. And just, just whilst we've got you, Mr. Gorn, um, if I was to, to don my, my cynical hat a bit, by, by 2035 or even by 2050, um, lots of the incumbent politicians, uh, I, I would guess anyway, won't, won't be in office any longer. Um, is, it, is there, a, is there a, a reason to believe or a reason to feel Tinwald sort of booting this issue into the, into the long grass? I don't think that's necessarily the reason why that 2050 date is being chosen. 2050 is, is, is a convenient date because that's what the UK did, so people will probably think, well, that's an easy one to, to, to go with. Also, it's the date that we chose in the, the last uh, Council of Ministers. Uh, now, it's fair to say that I would have, at that stage, preferred a much uh, more ambitious date, but... As I say, you have to go along with, with uh, your colleagues and certainly there were a few fairly prominent figures in the last government who were very cynical about the, the whole need to do anything. Um, uh, and, and as I say, you know, whether you're a cynic about climate change, whether you believe it's some made-up thing by the UN and all the world scientists uh, or, 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 or not, there's just some basic sound economics here. I mean, it, it, the other... I mean, basically, uh, the, the fuel use on the island can be split into three. Uh, heating space for homes and, and uh, workplaces is, is one third. Another third is transport and, and another third is electricity production. Um, roughly, I mean, it's not quite that. And, and presumably things have changed a bit since I've been out of politics. Uh, but in terms of transport... What we desperately need is more people to be to be using more electricity so that we can make the MUA um, model work a bit better to sort of pay off the, the massive debt that was incurred, I must say, before I was a minister. Um, <laughs> um, in fact, before I was an MHK. Um, so uh, an obvious thing to do would be uh, to... to encourage significant conversion to electric vehicles uh, and electric uh, heating sources through uh, ground and air source uh, heat heat uh, pumps again this is something that makes economic sense for the isle of man to do invest in a fairly short period of time again giving people a fairly clear steer that this is going to happen over the next five or ten years and if you're not on board at that time you're not going to get any support at a later time to, to make this change if we did that you know if we if we converted half the the transport on the island to electric vehicles 
that would have a massive impact, a massive improving impact uh, at the MUA. Everyone's electricity prices could potentially reduce as a result. Um, Really good news for for the... uh, uh, the Manx economy, for Manx government, for the MUA, for the, the population generally, and as a byproduct, we're not p- polluting the environment quite as much. Even even uh, if we continued using gas, because uh, the combustion engine rate of uh, conversion, I'm told, was something like twenty or thirty percent, whereas uh, using electricity. Um, even even having the transmission through the electricity lines to, to, to charge up your car, it means that you're producing far less uh, fossil fuels by driving an electric vehicle uh, powered by gas. Now, if we could then, of course, the final third, the final part that needs to be resolved is uh, the electricity generation. And I understand that we're in contracts uh, up to, uh, is it 2032, sometime like that? Um, uh, after which we, we could potentially move to um, renewable energy sources. Uh, so I do understand that that bit of the equation is not something we can easily change uh, at this stage. Um, but the other two, it just makes loads of economic sense. It's an obvious thing to do. It needs money. It needs some investment from government. And it probably needs big investment. But then there's a massive return as, as well as a, as a result of that. So, yeah. Well, Gurumai Morad, Phil Gorn, for your, your thoughts on that. Um, any thoughts listeners have, um, of course, do do get in touch. You can text us on 166167. You can email studio at manxradio.com and you can use the hashtag MRPerspective on social media. The Nation Station, Manx Radio. Faster Mike, you're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. We're joined by uh, Ralph Peak, MHK. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, and congratulations. I believe you were doing some walking yesterday. Uh, yes, it was a fantastic day in, in, the, in the hills on the Alaman. It was a gorgeous day. Perhaps a little bit too hot, but it was a fantastic day. It's a great uh, support and atmosphere down in the southern sections. When you go around Colby into Russian, absolutely fantastic. And so many people on the slock. I've never seen so many people on the slock, actually. But uh, And, of course, when you get to Peel, the welcome in Peel is so warm. It really is fantastic. So, yes, I'm really pleased to, to get to Peel. Excellent. Well, well, c- congratulations on that Thank front. You. Um, uh, as you said in your interview with, with Manx Radio earlier this week, um, you were, of course, pleased to to see the Timwald Court unanimously back your amendment. Um, you also said you didn't want to be held back by by introducing a date um, during the during the debate. Um, is your view that having a, a defined target could could actually encourage complacency? First of all, yes, um, I think that's what I've seen over the last few years. So the idea of trying to get an independent chair for this uh, dedicated. Uh, team will actually allow them to actually that person to come back and actually give us some really sound direction and that's something we can then support and there's plenty of time for for voting on dates in in January that's what I'm really looking forward to to get some hard evidence and people then be very robust and really support that. And how how do you think government should go about measuring progress uh, in, in, in the coming years? That's something I've been pushing for the last few years, really, to really get um, government to start measuring. So whatever you start measuring does tend to get done and does tend to get done better. So that's what we've been pushing for, and that has to happen. We have to convey not only to members but to the public as well that we are moving forward. We do need that vision. I completely agree that we need a clear vision, looking on that independent chair to give us that clear vision and to to have a, a clear strategy that we can then support. Is it is it hoped that come the January debate... Um, 
we will see perhaps some more defined targets is that is that something you perhaps had in mind absolutely yes I, I think we do need a defined target and as, as mr. Hooper my colleague very good colleague from Ramsey has said um, we do need a, a definite vision then it is just going to be the first of many I do see this being sort of milestones I do see this being um, reviewed every few months but um, you know that that's what it's about having a vision now and I could totally understand where Mr. Hooper was coming from with, with his amendment, but I just felt now, uh, at this time, it was more about trying to get people to realise that action is what's required now, and to try and get someone to come in with that expert knowledge, with that independent ability to actually give us some key visions so we can then support that. That's really important. Um, just to reference back to an interview you did with Manx Radio just before Christmas, um, this was talking about uh, missions monitoring, I think, and um, you spoke about the need to set milestones and, and the need for interim targets. The same principles apply here on a broader scale, you would feel, but but maybe just not yet. Absolutely, yes. It, it, having, having that vision and then building in those milestones along the way, that's what everyone will then be able to see and actually see the... Um, the transparency around that so they can actually see those milestones and then they can then measure that and compare it. It's very important to do that and that's what we've been asking for for a couple of years now. Thank you very much indeed Mr Peake. We're also joined in the studio this afternoon um, by Bill Dale. Uh, Faster my Bill, good afternoon. Faster my, sorry I'm a bit late, I've been beach cleaning this morning. Uh, no, no problem <laughs> at all. Um, broadly speaking first of all, um, based upon the press release from Beach Buddies earlier this week, uh, you felt the result in Tinwald was a step in the right direction perhaps? A step in the right direction. I'm sorry we didn't come up with the date, but having just listened to Ralph and and general opinion and even people that I've spoken to this morning, um, I think the hope is that once we get this expert in, that he's going to come up with a date. Um, and, and I think, you know, being a Manx person born and bred, we all understand that the Manx are terrible at meeting deadlines. We all do, you know, we're hopeless at that, you know, and, and being a journalist, you know what we're like, everything's last minute. So if you were to set a date to 2050, it'll all start happening in 2045. I'm not saying that there'll be nothing happening between them and now, but I, I do really think that we need a date because Manx people work to dates. And the other thing too is, uh, Phil mentioned there about people looking to invest in the Isle of Man. And if we're seen to be sort of pussyfooting around and not having fixed deadlines and, and not really sure what we're doing, they might think, well, you know, is this a government that really knows what it's doing? Are they just sort of meddling a bit? So I'm hoping that maybe within 12 months or sooner than that, as soon as this guy's appointed, very quickly afterwards, he's going to come up with a date. And I'm, I'm you know, I'll, I'll be pressing Ralph here to do that. And it does have to come back to Timwell by January. It does, okay. Yeah, yeah. So maybe by this time next year, we may well have come to 2035. I think Jersey's 2030. Yeah. You know, why not? You know, um, if it's 2050, there's a very good chance I'll be dead, right? I'll be in my late 90s, right? So I really want to see this happening. And, and I'll tell you what, the other thing that happens today, again, at our beach cleaning session loads of young people there they're all asking these questions about climate change about the environment about things that's happening in terms of pollution of the oceans i mean it's not just about um, carbon emissions it's everything to do with the environment and wildlife and when we have a general election in 2021 if candidates don't have a genuine desire to want to do something i don't mean just write a couple of paragraphs in a manifesto under the word headline environment if you genuinely haven't said anything in the la in the last parliament 
then you will get booted out. Believe me, that will happen. And these young people are all going to vote too because they get a vote at 16 and we've been notorious for not uh, 16-year-olds not voting. You wait till 2021. They, when I go to the schools and talk to them, as I do all the time now, they really care about this issue and they are going to make big decisions. Another, another quote from your press release, just if you don't mind. Um, you said to many of us, the vote looked like taking the easy option this week. Um, why do you feel that some people think that way? I think uh, generally people are sceptical of politicians. And these two gentlemen here will, will tell you that, you know, uh, when you go knocking on doors and, and seeking votes, particularly young people, are very sceptical. I think, too, also, it's tainted by the way that politics behaves itself outside of the Isle of Man. You look at what's happening in the UK. Look, at, I mean, for goodness sake, look at what's happening in America. <coughs> We have a leader in America who is just completely out of control. And sadly, because he is the president of the United States, whatever he says, people believe him, which is incredible. I mean, even with all of the crazy things that's happening, it looks as if he might even get reelected, which I find mind boggling. It wouldn't happen in the Isle of Man. He would be hung, drawn and quartered for half of the things that he said in the last couple of years. Uh, if he was in a, a, a civilized proper place, it looks like America's completely shambolic. So on that basis, um, I think that there is a, a tainting of politicians generally under the, under the name politician. But um, as we all know, uh, and these two gentlemen here will, will, will aspire to this, that everybody is very approachable. You can actually ring up these guys. Their phone number is available. You know, you can't get in touch with politicians anywhere else in the world. So um, I think it's a bit unfair that they're treated like that because I, I do like this parliament. I think this is one of the best we've had for quite a long time because there's a, there's, it's younger and I think too there's a, a genuine care for the environment. And I do like the fact that there's more females involved because um, I think they have a bit more compassion for these sort of things as well. Whereas in previous, um, previous parliaments, not been so good. So um, I've got hope, but I... You know, personally, I need a date. So that doesn't that doesn't sound too good, does it? But personally, I need a date for this. Okay. Just just finally, um, Mr. Dale, uh, as as Mr. Hooper's referenced already, we heard the Treasury Minister praise the efforts of the minority of people who um, pushed, shoved, and cajoled government into action on this. Um, to, to paraphrase, as a representative of the the third sector and as somebody witnessing and, and working with pollution on a on a weekly basis. Um, do you think those who've been most vocal have reason to feel enthused by what they heard this week? I think the, the reaction even that I've had in the last few days is that people are disappointed, but they're not overly... I think that they, they believe that there'll be something that will come out of this because obviously it was a unanimous vote eventually for, for Ralph's amendment. Um, I think most people would have wanted to go with Laurie's original amendment, but they've... Um, they're embracing the fact that something is happening. And also there was a unanimous um, vote on it. And let's face it, the word is climate change emergency. It's an emergency, you know, and I keep saying this, you know, we, if, if we have an, a serious emergency, say, for instance, this Iran thing blows up and it becomes a, 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 a serious war out there. That's an emergency. You don't make you don't wait for years to make decisions. You make decisions on the spot. And this is an emergency. And the evidence that we see, I mean, look at that figure about the um, the seagulls population has crashed. You know, you think seagulls are tough customers. 
and and you would think that they're sort of like the top of the feeding chain and yet their population is absolutely crashed you know so people are really worried about that's one element of what's going on in the world today how that's being caused we don't know it's got to be human impact it almost always is so on that basis i think everybody is just genuinely concerned about every single issue that matters with the environment and this is obviously a really important one sticking um with public opinion for the time being um mr peak you in in the debate and others said that the important thing that politicians have to do is to um to bring the isle of man with you on this um and about changing perhaps the the culture uh, i think was a word used quite a bit how, how how do we do that really well it is about having that um those those values those principles and i think it's great that the council ministers have recognized that over the last few weeks and actually uh, come on board with this they they were really against the idea of having an independent element to this and you know a lot happened in those four weeks and they've moved a long way which it's got to be the right thing it's got to be the right thing people pulling in the same direction um you know, Bill Dale, he started Beach Buddies 10 years ago with himself, but he was able to galvanise that local support. He was able to sell that, that vision of <clears throat> cleaner beaches here in the Isle of Man. And with that momentum, year after year after year, he's now attracted 10,000 people following him. And he's now got awards from the UK, letters from the Prime Minister, invited to New Zealand, America to speak to. It is about momentum. It is about having that belief, those values, and it is about changing culture. That's what I was trying to, trying to broadcast and try and get people to realise that we can do this, but it is about taking those changes ourselves. It's wanting to do it, and we must lead and we must bring people with us. So that was the idea of working on those four weeks that we had a perfect opportunity to work on those four weeks between last Timwell's debate and this um, combined vote this month. We heard from Mr Gorn talking about people who are still sceptical perhaps about climate change, still don't fully perhaps believe what they read. Um, how, how, how do you mobilise those people? How do we get through and how do we convince people of the importance of the issue? I think it's human nature to question things and, and you've got to respect people for, for you know inquiring about things and trying to find out to try and satisfy their own mind. But what we must do as, as, as politicians and, and the Alaman government is to get the facts and actually lead by presenting the facts and presenting what strategy we can do to deliver that what exactly what Bill Dale's just said there you know we really must get the young people involved they'll want their future cleaner and better than it is now mm. so it's about getting that and it's about mobilizing people in the Isle of Man to get to want to have a better future that's what our job is to try and take those facts present it into simple language that people can understand and want to support um, in in 2016 you your co-authored I think the the current strategy on, on climate right. change um, and we had a, uh, a body of evidence then so why yeah three, three years on why, why are we still sort of in a, in a similar scenario then I suppose if well, it's if it's just down to providing evidence because the belief wasn't there then and that's the difference now is I do believe that we have now recognized that a number of people in government now recognize that and actually want to deliver it that's that's the difference that's what's happened in my opinion that's what's happened in the last few years the culture has now started to change and it's speeded up over the last few months and even over the last few weeks people are now realizing that and realizing this is the way forward so i'm absolutely delighted that timwald has started to change its culture i'm delighted for new members that have come in uh, in the last general election and really energized it with new beliefs and that's exactly what we want to do um, Mr Hooper, as, as 
um, a, a relatively fresh pair of eyes still. <laughs> um, what would your thoughts be on that um, in terms of progress since 2016, perhaps? Well, there's been minimal progress, I think. Um, if you listen to the Environment Minister, he's convinced that they've made significant strides on their current strategy. Um, but uh, as an example, uh, one of the things that they've brought in is an energy efficiency fund, which is supposed to help support people with energy efficiency improvements. Uh, that fund has been up and running uh, for just over a year now, I think, and they've had two applications to the fund because the way it was set up it just isn't working for people. It isn't targeting the right people, they're not promoting it enough, and yet they are hailing this as a successful uh, Introduction of something that's going to make make radical change, and I just think that's uh, a little bit short-sighted and a bit, bl- bit of a blinkered view. If I'm going to be perfectly honest, uh, I, I, one thing I do slightly disagree with Ralph on. I, I completely agree. You've got to bring people with you, but I think the way that you do that is you uh, you talk about things that are important to people. So you talk about people who are skeptical about climate change. It doesn't matter whether I'm skeptical about climate change or not. If somebody says if you buy and drive an electric car, it's going to be 150 pounds cheaper for you every month. That's something that everyone can get behind. I mean, if you think about framing the debate in a in a pragmatic way if the motion on Tuesday had been to eliminate fuel poverty by 2035. There is no way you'd have had somebody putting an amendment down saying let's hold off eliminating fuel poverty till 2050. You'd have had everyone on their feet completely supportive of eliminating fuel poverty on the Isle of Man by 2035. Now the reality is the way you eliminate fuel poverty is you better insulate people's homes, you provide better and cheaper ways of them heating their homes which will be electric heating rather than gas or oil. Well actually those are exactly the same things you do to combat climate change. So sometimes it's not about talking about how we tackle climate change. It's saying, well, how do we tackle other issues that are present within our society and doing them in a way that actually ticks all those boxes. So maybe we should be talking about doing things like eliminating fuel poverty rather than eliminating emissions, because I think fuel poverty elimination is something everyone can get behind, everyone can understand. And actually the outcome of doing that will be also to eliminate some of our carbon emissions. It's about framing the debate in the right way and talking about things that are really important to people on a grand level that affect them day to day rather than something that's quite ephemeral, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years off, that actually not everyone is convinced by and not everyone thinks we can have a significant impact on. If, if the evidence is, is there already and is accessible to people, which I would imagine it, it is, um, yeah. and, it, and it's been there for a period of time, why have we not seen a substantial shift in opinion or, or, in, or in culture already? And I think this comes back down to what Ralph was saying, that the evidence, I think, is there and was there in 2016. Uh, the slides from some of the presentations calling for a 2035 el- elimination date are available freely on the DEFA website. Uh, the independent scoping studies that were done in 2016 are all available on the DEFA website. The evidence is there. I think what hasn't happened is, is Timor members and governments haven't really got on board with that. And what we're seeing now, uh, I think, after being cajoled and shoved into it, is a government that's finally woken up to the fact that the population are miles ahead of them on this, that the people, I think, realise that we need to do things, we need to take action, and government are slowly being dragged into that space. And I think that is the one positive thing that I can take away from the debate on Tuesday. It doesn't matter whether we agree to a date or to, to delay picking a date till we've had another round of evidence gathering. What we've all agreed is that we need to do something, and we've managed to push government into making that decision and accepting some responsibility that actually, yeah, we are going to have to do something. And I think that hasn't really been there over the last couple of years, as they haven't really been willing to engage properly with the subject. They've been too uh, too, too worried, I think, too afraid of, well, how do you pay for it, how do you fund it? But actually, some of the things you're going to have to do to tackle climate change, we should be doing anyway to tackle some of our other issues and some of our other problems. So, you know, it's, it's not something we should keep putting off. Um, there was talk... Um in the court about this being a cross-departmental approach and about it sort of transcending you know government's boundaries if you like um one thing i was going to 
going to draw upon, Mr. Peak. Um, you spoke about the idea of a transformation team and used the example of Sir Jonathan Michael's report and the, the establishment of that independent team to oversee this. Um, another another sort of thing that came up from that debate was the idea of public health being moved into the Cabinet Office, uh, to pick an example. Um, maybe do you feel public health should have an environmental wing or, or, or a conscious or a, a responsibility? in the same sense? Well, I think what you just said there, public health, we do hope, moves into the Cabinet Office. I think that's the right place for it to, to sit. And that then would absolutely have an opportunity then to um, contribute to this. This issue is the most important issue. I think we all agree that. Um, and it's about ways of, of helping people understand the importance of it and understand what we can do. So it's definitely bigger than one department. It must sit in the centre. It must contribute from leading departments. Um, they must have a, a seat at that uh, board, I would have s thought. And then it needs to be across government. It, it, it's got to be for it to work. And listening to um, certainly taking evidence from um, direct public health will be a, a wise move, absolutely. Sorry to, to state the obvious a little bit, but cleaner air, more people actively travelling, goes goes without saying this has huge health benefits as well so it's it's not like a, a one-dimensional topic is it at all you're absolutely right there are so many opportunities here and it's about having that positive mindset so rather than seeing the negatives and actually bringing up all the things that you think is going to change my life and i won't be able to do this won't be able to do that to actually look at it differently to actually look at it at how we can then work together to have an isle of man where we all want to live and where people then want to come here and live here because we will then have proper measurements, proper data and a, a roadmap of an Isle of Man that will be sustainable. So that's energy security as well as actually being able to afford the energy, as, as, as Laurie said there. Fuel poverty is definitely in, into this mix. If we actually reduce the need for energy to heat our homes, as, as Laurie says, that takes away the massive issue on fuel poverty and that's a positive thing for everyone so it's about putting down those negative spectacles and, and really picking up those positive ones and starting to look at things differently that's what i believe is the change of culture that i've detected in timwald over the last few months and um, lots and lots of talking points for the second half of the program just quickly i'm going to come to william king if i may william we've had some some text and messages in we have yes thanks dolan um one's coming from archibald elliott who we will hear a bit more from later in the program he says that Ralph Peake said that we need to take action now, but is wanting to wait six months to get a, an action plan, and this sounds like a contradictory statement, which you wouldn't do in any other sort of emergency. What would you say to that, Mr Peake? Well, the action is to actually get Timwald unanimously voting together on this and wanting to, to, to actually do something. That's been missing. As, as Laurie Hooper said a few min minutes ago, that's what's missed over the last few years. That's why we haven't really achieved much. We have done something, but it's nowhere near enough. So that's what, it's having people who want to do it. That's how we're going to achieve things. And um, we've also had a um, an email in from, the, from Pete Christian of Friends of the Earth and the Climate Change Coalition saying that there's already a huge expert body of evidence within the IPCC and there's not been very many much reference to this today um he said we would no doubt benefit from further expert advice but why on earth can we not immediately adopt the interim target of the ipcc of 45 percent reduction of 2010 levels by 2030 he says that's a huge task and that date has been lost in the 2035 to 50 arguments okay so the there is a lot of evidence around we've all uh, agreed to that 
And what the Alabama government needs to do now is actually to appoint an independent expert to actually put that together, to explain it to people who are just getting on board now. Because if you just present things to people that they don't understand, they then have got no responsibility, they're not held accountable to that. So what I'm really hoping for is the independent uh, lead to this team will then be able to clearly identify what the Alamann government can do and then people when they come to vote in, in January then take responsibility and vote for the most robust and ambitious target they can. Uh, just to, to wrap up, we've got just over a minute to go for this half of the programme. Um, you mentioned a bit about expertise and the need for um, for well, yeah, for independent advice, we have a body of scientists and and people working within DEFA offices on the Isle of Man. How much have we sort of tapped into their expertise already? Well, they have been working for the last three years on this, but as we, we said, this is bigger than one department. It's got to be taken out of one department, and it's got to be cross department. It's got to be Alaman government taking this seriously and work together. Thank you very much indeed to all of our guests for this half of the programme. A couple more messages in. William, over to you. Yes, thanks, Dolan. Um, Rob says that it doesn't matter what the Isle of Man does to save the planet. All governments shouldn't turn to the people, but press America and China to stop reducing pollution. Um, we've also had a text which says, I think this might be Rob as well, actually. Um, we all should do our part in slowing down climate Okay, looks like it's a different Rob, I'm afraid. Sorry. Um, we all should do our part in slowing down climate change, encouraging wild birds with feeders, etc., flowers for bees and insects. We can all help in a small way to converse opinions there. Thank you very much indeed, Will. Keep your messages coming in. We'll see you after the news. The Nation Station, Manx Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. Lots of talking points still to come from the first hour of the programme. And as we ended the first hour uh, looking at some listener comments and listener views, we'll start the second hour by also doing so. William. Thanks, Dolan. Yes. Um, Mike's got in touch and he's raised something which I think was raised by Tim Baker in the previous sitting on the climate emergency. He said a simple way of cutting our carbon footprint would be to stop the TT. It's a it's a big question. Would you would you feel comfortable stopping the TT? Anyone Actually, around? it's not it's not really a big question. Um, the, the TT does a lot for the island. It's it's a great event. Uh, we get uh, it really does support our, our uh, retail and our domestic and our tourism economies fantastically well. Uh, and if you look at the actual carbon impact of it, um, you're looking at possibly the uh, just the fuel use in the TT, for example, the races themselves. You'd think it would be quite significant, but the reality is it isn't. Um, I, I know there's been conversations around uh, looking into whether we can, can offset the carbon from the TT to try and you know make it a carbon neutral event, and uh, it, it really it, it isn't as, as big an issue as we thought it was going to be. I mean, I was under the impression it was going to cost you know big big bucks for this kind of thing, but you, you're talking in the hundreds of pounds rather than in the thousands. Um, it obviously gets a bit bigger when you start looking at all the visitors that come over, but I don't think we'd want to sacrifice the visitors and the boost to the tourism economy uh, for that when there are other ways of dealing with this problem so really I I don't think it is a big question I think at this point there are other ways of dealing with the the carbons the carbon emissions from the TT rather than even contemplating cancelling it and this is a point that I tried to make in the debate Um, Mr Boot was very uh, heavily against this idea of of, uh, involving carbon capture or offsetting in our carbon strategy and whereas actually I think it's absolutely fundamental if you want to keep things like the TT if you want to keep a heritage railway you know if you want to keep these things which are uh, our emitters we have to find ways of, of making them carbon neutral events and whether that's through carbon capture solutions 
things like planting trees, for example, or, or more complex solutions, there are ways of dealing with it. Mr Peake, did you want to come in on that? Yes, I think the Alman TT has been a great showcase for the Alman for a number of years. When it was a World Championship round, we had the greatest uh, road racing stars here in, in the Alman, pushing technologies, eight-cylinder motorcycles, four-cylinder 125s, absolutely cutting edge. And what we've got now, of course, is the electric category. So we were actually mm. cutting edge as well. So it's been a fantastic opportunity to actually get electric vehicles on the TT course and to promote it that way. So it's about, again, as I said earlier, it's opportunities. You can look at things in a negative way or you can actually look at it in a positive way and actually get maximise your opportunities. It's about changing, it's about moving forward in a slightly different direction, but you can still retain all the good things of the TT and, uh, and also have the electric technology and parts of it. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, we've also had a text in from a number ending 509. Why has climate change suddenly become topical? It should have been addressed many years ago. Um, I think that's quite interesting because clearly we've reached a stage where it's become a, a public uh, matter of conversation. And I, I'm not sure how that's come about. Does anyone have any views? It's that constant pressure on yeah. government. And um, Laurie Hooper and I, you know, we have been challenging government over the last few years, uh, perhaps from different points of view, but we've certainly been challenging it. And uh, gradually, that pressure builds up and there's a realisation then that things must change. So it's it's getting that measurement in, it's, it's understanding that you need to have the independent expert to to understand the facts that are presented. I mean, one of the callers earlier, uh, I think it was Peter Christian from Friends of the Earth, you know, the evidence is around, but you, you need to have somebody who understands the evidence that we can then project it in a sensible way that people can then get on board with. And that's what's changed recently, even in these last few weeks. George has, sorry, George has got in touch saying that he has a bungalow with no loft insula insulation. He is a pensioner and he wants to save the world for the lazy, irresponsible, obese, phone-addicted next generation. Um, could he get a grant for the insulation, he's asking? Is that something that happens? So the Alamein government does have an energy efficiency scheme uh, which does provide grants for uh, energy efficiency improvements. Uh, I'm assuming the loft insulation is included in that, seeing it is, it is the easiest, not normally the cheapest and most common way of making your mm -hmm. house more thermally efficient. Uh, I'd suggest if he gets in touch with, with DEFA, have a look on the website for the, uh, the details of the scheme and gives them a call. That's, they're the right people to ask and I, I'm sure they'll turn around and say yes. I think too the cost of these things has come down dramatically. I remember years ago when I tried to uh, buy the kit to insulate the roof of my house it was a, you know it was a big amount of money uh, and there were no grants around in those days either but um, I mean the cost of these materials is now coming down dramatically and uh, there's no real reason why anybody shouldn't find you know if it's important and it's yeah. the other thing is Phil Gorn said earlier on about if you invest some money in it now it'll repay itself in big way over the years I mean that's exactly the same with insulation in your own home so it's not it's one of the things that we're trying to encourage people to do is to just have a look at it and see what the real cost is and the benefits in three four five years time I think that's a, a point to dwell on actually is lots of the discussion in Tinwald was about the cost of implementing um, yeah. the, the necessary changes whereas Perhaps the word investment would be would be a better description. Yes. Would that would that be fair? You're absolutely yeah. right. And what some people like to do is to bring this cost in into the debate, into the argument, put it forward as a reason not to do something. They then say it's just too expensive to do, and that's the whole idea of giving us time with this independent chair of this transformational team is to get the facts together and present the facts in January so Tim will can vote on it in a proper way look at the facts and then vote on it help your decision 
correctly. Just talking about things, bringing costs in, it doesn't help anybody. It's just a distraction. Thank you very much indeed for all the messages still coming in. Um, just to take a slightly different angle now, one of the main instigators behind the student climate strikes here on the island has expressed their disappointment that Tinwald opted against the 2035 deadline. Nevertheless, Archie Elliott from the Isle of Man Student Climate Network is encouraged by the emergency declaration made this week. He's been speaking to our very own William King, who began by asking him about his thoughts on the debate. I was uh, disappointed to hear some of the Minister's remarks about how 2035 was an emotional date and it wasn't really feasible and backed up by no scientific evidence. But overall I was at least pleased that they had decided to declare a climate emergency, although they haven't set a date of when they'll become carbon neutral yet. Yeah, so I'm I'm taking from that that you... did you... You would have preferred Mr Hooper's amendment then? Yes, I thought that was a much better date as it managed to commit to an earlier deadline to getting uh, carbon neutral and that would mean that we leave enough room for error in case something goes wrong or something big happens where we can't become carbon neutral. I find it interesting when I look at that and it was it was 2035 was what Laurie Hooper yeah. predicted but then we look to the UK and they've said 2050 and the EU had a vote on 2050. I don't think that carried unanimously the other day. But so why was Laurie Hooper going for 2035 over 2050, do you think? And why is that so much better? Well, with the UK, 2050 is an achievable target because it's a bigger country with more stuff needed to do to decarbonise and also switch the a larger economy. We are an island, a, a smaller scale project, so we can easily, with perfect test ground for electric cars, for onshore wind and offshore wind farms. So we're almost perfect for actually getting the infrastructure in. So that's why the achievable 35, 2035 date is possible. And it was actually recommended in a presentation done to Timwood in 2016 that the, that the island should become carbon neutral by 2035. So what do you make of Ralph Peake's amendment, which, as you know, was backed unanimously by the House? <laughs> Yes, I'm glad it was back unanimously, as it was the second vote, obviously. They can't, yeah. That's the only one they can do to have definitely a climate emergency. Uh, I think it still is putting off the deadline of when we're actually going to start dealing with the problem. Six months uh, when they want to report by is January, and with obviously the Isle of Man government's current <laughs> strategies, that's probably going to overrun. And it's a shame that we haven't committed to an earlier date. I, I would actually ideally like to see a joint amendment, well, so the joining of the two amendments, you have both the independent chair, which I think will provide a good plan for the government, and also the set deadline for 2035, so I hope that's what the kind of independent chair will implement. Some might argue that the Isle of Man declaring a climate emergency has no impact on the global scale, when you've got the likes of China and the USA burning the amounts of coal and oil they do. What's the point of the Isle of Man declaring a climate emergency? Well, let's say if everyone has that opinion, nothing obviously will be done, but we can lead by example almost. The China is actually investing heavily in renewable energy, and I think over 50% of that electricity is produced by renewables. Obviously, as it's a bigger country, there will be more things to switch, and they'll obviously burn more coal for the short term. But I think it's also instrumental if we say we have become carbon neutral, 
this is how you do it, this is what we've done, and it shows us an example of what other nations can do. Do you think students on the Isle of Man think that there's a need for a climate emergency to be declared? I definitely think within our student climate network, we do need, we definitely think a climate emergency is necessary. So within the student climate network, but what do you think wider? Do you think the whole, all students on the Isle of Man think this? I do think there is a wide majority wanting a climate emergency to be declared because it's kind of sim- symbolic in saying, yes, we're now going to take action, though I'm still not convinced it will happen fast enough. I'll tell you why I ask. Um, we're constantly being told about mental health at the minute, and yeah. it's another really big topic. Um, but don't you think that badging it as an emergency, has, there is a sort of an aspect of doom and gloom. Don't you think that that's going to weaken people's morale and they're they're going to be told that the planet is nearly over. But that's not great for mental health, surely. I think an emergency can be viewed in both positive and negative ways. Let's say you have an emergency and the emergency works out and you save a person's life, for example. That's then positive. Yay, we, sh- we saved one, that's great. So if we can try and save the planet and increase that, it's kind of saying it, it's an emergency, it needs to be urgent, there needs to be quick action. That's kind of emphasising a point of it needs to be done now. So, yeah, there's both negative and positive conversations. Is there much opposition between your peers when you're in school and you've been to the student climate strike? Is there anyone else in the year group that might say you're only having a day off school, for example? I don't think so, because I'm obviously someone who passionately cares about the environment. There are still the people who, you know, just for fun or trying to act cool say it's not a big problem, but people are not being very clever. They should be taking it as a problem. They should be taking more action. So is the Isle of Man student climate network where you want it to be? I think it it is currently. We would like more involvement in governments to kind of have our say, and we would like to eventually address Timwald. Uh, We have currently representatives from all the island schools, so we have a good kind of collaboration almost. And we will be having some meetings with some ministers uh, not uh, in a couple of weeks. That was Archibald Elliott from the Isle of Man Student Climate Network there speaking to William King earlier this week. Um, again, lots of points to, to talk about there. Um, Mr Dale, if I could come to you first. Uh, Archie spoke about this being a very emotional debate and that's something I think I can agree with. Without doubt, um, Archie actually this morning has been involved in our beach cleaning session. So you know, then it's not just one subject that he's interested in. And I said that before that um, these these younger people are interested in all all aspects of the environment. And you know, obviously, carbon emissions is top of the list at the moment. But they're talking about every single subject. What they are saying, and what lots of people are saying to me, is here we are in the Isle of Man with this. A uh, very fine system of uh, ruling our, our parliament where we can make changes very quickly and a lot of people are frustrated that that we can't set examples you know because uh, here we are in this fantastic situation where you can actually you don't even need change legislation you, you could just produce a, a, a new document to say these are guidelines on how restaurants should operate in terms of um, disposable materials, you know, and, and single-use plastics and all that sort of stuff. So therefore, the, you know, the energy debate comes into all of this as well. And so many people say to me, you know, that we should, even if it's a little bit of a risk, just go that bit extra, go further. Don't just follow what other people are doing. 
And people like Archie and, and the young people that I meet at a lot of these meetings, and certainly in the schools, are just saying, you know, we've got the ability to do this. Why don't we just have a go and do something extra special? Don't just follow what everybody else is doing, because quite often you can make, fall into the trap of thinking that's as much as you need to do and then rest on your laurels. But why don't we set an example? You know, and we've done it in many ways and we are doing it in many ways. Here is a chance and an opportunity, especially as we've all talked this morning about how there's a cost initially, but the payback is far, far bigger. So it's not as if we're just pumping money into a big hole. I'm a bit of a critic and always have been of this money being spent on a promenade. There's no money going to come back out of that. That's a huge, big money, lump of money gone down a hole with no, no return on it. There's nobody sitting in Manchester thinking, I'm going to go on holiday in the Isle of Man because they've got a new promenade. It doesn't happen. You know, they've done it in Blackpool and it hasn't worked there either. So it's just, this is an investment which will make us look even better than we we are at the moment. I think we've we've got a good track record, but this is a, I think this is an opportunity as much as anything else. Um, Mr. Dale, your, your press release earlier this week focused on that idea of the Isle of Man having an opportunity to lead on this and a point that, that Archie made there as well about being a, a smaller jurisdiction here it's a smaller scale project and therefore theoretically more easy to implement whole whole scale change here do you think you would agree with that maybe mr peak Abs- absolutely i would agree with that and i think the great thing now is that we will actually have this action plan we will actually have some evidence in, presented to tim Wald in in january and that's when you can make your decision then that's when we'll be asking for that ambitious and robust decision making because there will be some evidence there people will have to take responsibility in january timbald members will have to look at that and take responsibility and vote accordingly I very much hope they'll re- vote for a, an, a, an ambitious ambitious target but they will have the evidence there to actually hold them accountable for that do you, do you think i just ask you ralph do you, do you think there will be a date fixed in January or, or shortly afterwards? Do you think that is a, a, a big possibility? Yes, there has to be a date. Good. Because um, it was very hard not to put a date in for me um, this month because I wanted to try and not restrict it in any way. I wanted to get people on board, get consensus and actually make some action, take those steps forward. Personally, I think it was easier to put a date in. It's been harder not to put a date in, but what I wanted to try and do is to get people to realize the seriousness of this and how important this is and actually get a firm date agreed in January. I've seen what's happened when there's a policy agreed in 2015, strategy agreed in 2016, minimal has happened. That cannot happen again and I will be standing shoulder to shoulder with my friend Laurie Hooper to make sure that there is a date and people can then have the choice to vote on it. That is what will then will be judged on. In the in the meantime, from now to January, um, that transformation team being being established, what would you like to see, a in that team, or who would you like to see in that team? Perhaps uh, I know it's an early stage, and and are they are they going to be able to get this this work done in that sort of six month period? It's it, it's a start of a document. This will be the first vision, and then it will have some milestones in there. But this will need to be adjusted and worked on over the next few years and re- revisited. That that's that's got to happen but yes it has to be cross-party it has to be an independent chair that people respect and the public will respect and the Timbal members can then get behind it exactly the same as the health and social care transformational team we all got behind Sir Jonathan Michael we realised 
action needed to happen. We've now got a, a, a team together and they're actually working on that. And so we'll be able to vote on that team. We'll be able to vote on that later on. This is exactly the same. These are two very important issues for the Isle of Man. I'd like to talk a bit um, about a, a, a topic which is separate but not unrelated. There's plans very well documented to, to um, search for fossil fuels off the coast of the Isle of Man um, in the not too distant future. Is that not at loggerheads with everything we've been talking about here? If we're going to be sort of um, arguing for a greener future whilst also trying to ex- sort of extract fossil fuels you know, just a, a few miles away. Yeah, I, I can see that, and, the, and that's exactly the, the issues you're facing. There's many, many people who say that there should be no more fossil fuels be explored in, in the world, no more fossil fuels burned. There's a massive support for that argument. There's also a support for the argument on the economy side. We have to make a decision on these things. We have to get the evidence there. Then you're held responsible for the decisions you make. That's what we need to do. There is um, agreements in place now with that um, company. They can explore or, or, or carry out 3D seismic tests on the uh, seabed, as far as I understand, and they will make a decision. But I don't see any ships in the harbour. That hasn't started yet. I don't know when that is going to start. Mr Hooper, do you, do you see a, a hypocrisy there? No, there is a, there is obviously a, a challenge. I think when you're looking at this, um, but I mean, it was quite well explained by by Phil Gorn earlier on that uh, we are spending money buying gas, for example, from very far uh, afield. Uh, and the reality is, we're going to have a gas power plant until 2032, 2034, whenever the the life of that plant expires. Uh, that's not going to change. Um, so if the op- opportunity is there to instead uh, use gas locally. Um, I, I think it is something we should be thinking about rather than spending money buying gas from, from foreign shores. It's, it's more to do with energy security, I think. Um, but I think ideally for me, uh, I, if this exploration does go ahead, we should be putting anything that comes from that uh, into a, a pot of money and said, actually, the, we're, we're doing this so that we can then invest in long-term renewable uh, energy generation, long-term sustainable technologies. It should be seen as a means to an end rather than a solution in and of itself. Um, but I think if government does go ahead with it and doesn't take that kind of positive step, then it would be the wrong thing to do. So if, if we are going to explore for, for uh, resources in our waters, it has to be because it's the right thing to do for us as an island, and it has to be part of a wider a plan to transition the whole island into something that is low carbon, zero carbon. Uh, just doing it in isolation clearly wouldn't be the right way to go. Um, I, I had a message from a listener prior to the beginning of this programme um, who said it will surely become incumbent upon Department for Enterprise members, um, Daphne Kane and, and Laurie Hooper, to, to direct the department towards developing a new green economy to create a sustainable island for all. Would you agree, first of all, Mr Hooper? Um, it's a good challenge to throw out, I suppose, um, but it's probably worth bearing in mind that government doesn't direct the economy. Uh, it's driven primarily by market forces, uh, and as a department, yes, we should definitely be supporting uh, in industries that are greener or renewable. I mean, one part of our strategy already has been to uh, include the consideration of waste uh, when businesses relocate here. So if a business wants to relocate to the Isle of Man and is a production business, for example, um, we have to take into account uh, whether or not how they're going to deal with their the waste element 
of that business when it comes to giving them government support. If you've got a business that wants to relocate that actually doesn't have a plan for dealing with its waste, then we won't be supporting it. And I think the same kind of conversation has to be had around uh, sort of green initiatives. If you've got a business that's going to be relocating to the Isle of Man, maybe we should start considering the level of carbon they're going to be emitting as part of that business model as to whether or not they should be eligible for any kind of support from the government. So it is something that's very much actively on uh, the Enterprise Department radar. Uh, but uh, as I said, it is more about... Uh, providing and building that framework really for the economy we don't really have much influence over uh, over driving it in, in so much in, in that far really it, it's more about putting a, the right framework in place the nation station radio Welcome back. You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. More messages still coming in. William King, over to you. Thanks, Dolan. Um, Alice has sent us a message saying, about this independent expert advisor, do they have anyone in mind already? And what background and skills are they looking for? She's then sent us a follow-up saying that it sounded like a bit of a job application, and she, but, it, but it wasn't. Um, so, yeah, um, what do you have anyone in mind and what background and skills are, are you looking for in an independent expert advisor? Well, what, what Timwald has asked for is for the Council of Ministers to appoint somebody, so it's, it's their responsibility to do that, and they need to be careful to choose somebody that will actually lead and will actually get people on board. But that, that is their responsibility. If we just start throwing names around mm. now, that's... Bill, maybe it might be one for you as a, as a voice from outside of, of government, um, um, or outside Parliament, of Timwald, outside yeah. Of, yeah. Um, what, what sort of qualities perhaps would you like to see in whoever is appointed? Well, I mean, this is a big question, isn't it? Um, When that was announced, I thought, well, I wonder who it's going to be. Are we just going to get somebody who's a retired judge from the south of England or somewhere like that? And you don't really know what you're getting. It's got to be somebody who's who understands and has a track record in on environmental issues. Um, And you're not just going to appoint somebody because of a big name or anything like that. I think, you know, it's this is the, the, the most difficult thing, I think, that the government faces is to, is to get the right guy in, or woman. Um, not an easy thing to do. I, 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 have, I have no idea. I wouldn't have a name. Um, and you don't want somebody to be biased one way or the other. It's got to be somebody who's going to look at it objectively and come up with realistic and and, and proper decisions which people will engage with and understand why they've been made um, and you don't want somebody who's going to be a reactionary or, or at one end of the scale or the other so not going to be the easiest thing to find but I, I'm, I'm from what Ralph has just said it sounds like there are there are a few potentials in the in the background I don't know I think, I think what's happened is the St Jonathan Michael's appointment for the health and social care team that's gone down really well. People mm. got behind that. It came back with a very, very sensible uh, list of recommendations, which was, again, totally supported by Timwald. Um, and, and we're confident that we will then get to where we want to be. So with that success, I can see no reason why we wouldn't be successful in this Good. next appointment. Um, Bill, can, something that I mentioned to Archie was, if we're calling this a climate emergency, um, and we've got mental health as a big thing on the cards at the minute, is, th- is that not a bit contradictory that you're saying to people we're in an emergency, oh no, a bit of doom and gloom? That can't be good for people's mental health, surely, you don't, don't you think? You know, we have a lot of people who come along to our beach cleaning sessions and we sometimes run very private sessions for people like that and we look on this, this is an opportunity to be positive with them and 
you you'd be amazed how they engage uh, on a, a level which we let's face it we're doing a very simple thing but it's you know it's good for you um good physically for you it's good mentally for you and it's good there's a result at the end and you can actually go out for an hour in an environment where there's nobody sort of overseeing you or whatever we have a nice relaxed situation so on that basis okay people with mental health issues i do understand they you know they listen to programs like this and might think that you know there's a lot of bad things around but um i know that ralph's involved in an organization which just tries to see the positives and 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 bring out positives in people and and that doesn't just apply to people who've got mental health issues you know this is for all of us you know i mean i'm sure we all go to bed some nights thinking that wasn't really a very good day you know there's some bad things happening in the world today i mean that's the same as everybody else you know so i don't think um anybody who's prone to these things should worry too much about um where we're going because i think i the one thing i I really wanted to say today is that i just think this is a wonderful wonderful opportunity and we should look on this as something a really positive thing that we can actually show the rest of the world that we're going to do something here which is special we're in control of the whole thing We've got, the, you know, the, the MHKs are in control and, and Timwell is in control of everything, the spending, the legislation, everything. We can do things quickly. We can do things which are a bit special. And we've proved that that can be done in the Isle of Man. And, you know, as we all know, everybody's watching what's happening on these issues. If we do something really special, then we could be setting an example to everybody, not just Britain, everybody. It's a great opportunity. So that's that's the real key for for me. Just a point Bill made there, without straying too far from the topic. Um, some of the ideals from from Quing can they be applied here about about dwelling on on positives and 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 you know yeah. is, are there some transferable ideas there? Absolutely, yes, and and I do really believe that. It's, if you just if you look for the negatives and things, and unfortunately that's what you find. But if you actually look for the positive things, then it gives you more opportunity to want to actually get involved mm. and want to improve things, and that's what we're trying to do. We've got a great opportunity to lead by example, great opportunity. We have the, the island is the right scale, if you like, to get a real solution for a small island, and people can then scale that up. We've, we all love the Isleman. We can actually be more positive and actually get what we actually want. We've had a message in um, from Peter Christian again. I don't know if you've seen it, Will, but... Um, I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to go for it? Yeah, yeah, can do. Um, he says the Friends of the Earth have a petition on change.org seeking... as seeking to stop the licensing of gas fracking in our waters. They've currently got over 2,200 signatures. Um, In the UK, he thinks this would have led to government debate, but our government doesn't allow this. Uh, We have to consult on climate change options identified by Minister Boot, but not on this environmental, environmental destructive plan. That's from Pete Christian at the Friends of the Earth and a member of the Climate Change Coalition as well. Um, maybe Mr. Hooper, do you have any have any views on that? Uh, no, not really. I mean, the the technology that they're proposing to use in the the offshore uh, exploration, if it ever gets that far, is uh, the same technology that's been in use in the North Sea for the past thirty odd years. It's it's not new, and I think people use language like. Uh, fracking because that has lots of negative connotations which tends to refer to kind of onshore development uh, and I think there's obviously quite a bit of confusion as to what is actually going on. I think Ralph mentioned it earlier, what's happening at this stage is 3D seismic exploration uh, which is basically just scanning to see if there's anything down there and I think there's no point 
putting a stop to it when companies are out there just looking at that exploration. If they do decide to go any further, there'll have to be all the right environmental protections put in place. And like I said before, some of this has to be seen in the broad context of the Isle of Man's overall energy strategy. It can't just be seen in isolation. Is it the right thing to do as part of a wider plan to transition the Isle of Man to zero carbon renewable energy or not? And if the answer is not, then maybe we should be stuck looking at saying, let's not be doing this. But if actually it can be factored in as part of that broader long-term transition, maybe it's something that will be a good idea for us. I don't know is, is the short answer, but it's something that we shouldn't throw all out right now until we know exactly what, what the situation is. Again, a, a small tangent, but that, that idea about having a, a, a petition with 2,200 signatures, um, not making it to Tinwald as a, as mm. a debate, um, I mean, is, is, that, is that true? <laughs> Well, yeah, there's no, uh, in the UK there is a requirement for, uh, they have an e-petitions website, when you get to 100,000 signatures there's a there's a debate on that, uh, but on the Isle of Man obviously you don't need to get 2,000 signatures if you want to have a petition, you can simply deliver one to Timwald Hill on Timwald Day, uh, you can do that by yourself, you don't need hundreds or thousands of signatures if the Friends of the Earth want to deliver a petition to Timwald to call for a, a ban, really they've got an opportunity to do that uh, in, in two weeks time, three weeks time when we have Timwald Day on the hill in the field in St John's and I would really actively encourage them to do that. You mentioned about carbon neutrality there um, when you were talking about how we, whether we should or we shouldn't look at um, gas exploration. We've had a few messages in from people suggesting what they think might help to reduce carbon emissions. Um, Helen has said that two, mes- two measures which could help would be to remove all VAT when purchasing electric vehicles. I think there's already a grant there. Um, and to make the bus service free to everyone. Um what 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 does the panel think about that? Uh, there's not actually a grant at the moment for right, okay. vehicles, but there is um, benefit in kind uh, reduction. So for businesses who want to buy the the electric vehicles, they can um, re- remove the benefit in kind. But they really do make sense, and I know we've actually got other people here today. There's two electric. Uh, vehicle owners here today, Laurie and myself, and um, it, it makes sense. It absolutely makes sense in the Alaman because, you know, we, even the model I've got is a second-hand vehicle, but it has a range of up to 90 miles on a charge, charge up overnight at home. 90 miles, it costs me £19 a month on average mm. to actually run that car. Now, it was costing me over £120 in, in fuel, so the, the economic reason for getting an electric vehicle is completely sound. So do you, do you feel, whether it be businesses or private individuals, do you think there's enough incentive to, to swap to electric alternatives? Or perhaps perhaps there shouldn't shouldn't need to be any incentive? That's exactly right. The incentive is there already. It's a, it's a fantastically enjoyable experience because it's calm, quiet, and doesn't pollute. And it actually costs you so little to run. It, it makes sense not only for economical reasons, but also for enjoyment reasons. It's perfect for the Alaman. Laurie Hooper, did you want to come in on yeah, that? Yeah, I think the challenge with uh, moving over to, to electric vehicles isn't to necessarily the, the ongoing cost, because like Ralph says, it does, like, they are cheaper to run than your standard petrol car. And now you, you can buy uh, a second-hand electric vehicle for around the same price as a second-hand petrol car. So the, the economics are there. Actually providing a grant to buy the vehicle in the first place isn't necessarily the challenge. The challenge is the infrastructure that goes with it. So if you are going to buy an electric vehicle, you're going to want somewhere to charge it up at home. So maybe we should be looking at giving people grants in order to install charging points in their houses. And the second question... 
second thing we should be looking at is actually building a proper electric vehicle charging network around the island so that people don't have this range anxiety. They know that when they go and drive into Douglas or drive home, they, they've got somewhere they can park and charge up. And I think, from my perspective, I'd much rather be investing uh, government money in, in building that kind of, of charging network that everyone can use, visitors and, and Alamein residents alike, um, rather than handing out grants to people, because predominantly people that access these kind of grants tend to be the people that could afford to buy the vehicle in the first place without the grant. So we need to find ways of supporting people who maybe don't have the money in order to switch because like Ralph says it's cheaper to, to run the vehicle so after you've bought it in the first place you will be better off every month it's just trying to incentivize people to do that so what about what about the bus service then because we've seen Luxembourg a population of 600,000 say that they're going to look at uh, making their public transport service free and, there, uh, and there's, there's a fair free campaign on the Isle of Man of course yeah 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 so is that is that something we could we could actually would that be feasible here that's changing people's culture, isn't it? It's trying to get people then to actually want to travel on public transport, want to get out of the, out of the vehicle. But active travel's got a part in this as well, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's about wanting to actually walk to work or cycle to work. It, 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 we can't be too hard on people. Sometimes you, you, you have a job and you, you have to drive to work because you then might go out during the day. You might have to visit appointments. You might have to vis visit people. So it's not always the way to ride a mile to work. But if you've got to go then five miles to actually meet somebody later on, then you know, it's difficult. So, but you can mitigate your effects by actually having that electric vehicle or a zero emission vehicle. We're now under two minutes to go. I think I, I'm struggling to get through all these messages. So mm. thank you very much, everybody, for, for all of your contributions. And um, Rob has made a point which you hear quite a bit. Um, he says, I very much doubt America, China, Russia will follow our lead. Um, who are our MHKs trying to kid? It's all big words, fancy strap lines, hopes and dreams. There's a point there that the major polluters in the world, how how can the Isle of Man have, have have an impact, I suppose? Because you actually you can't change anybody else. You have to work on yourself. You have to change yourself. So that is about being positive. That is about changing the culture. It has to start with you. You have to work on yourself and believe it and then you'll have a contribution that's better for the Isle of Man. I don't know. Yeah, I don't and that's see something that's happened with what we do. Um, people around the world are just looking at, the, at what's been achieved. I met a guy in TT Week who said, from Switzerland, right, and he said to me he thinks that the Isle of Man is cleaner than Switzerland, which absolutely amazed me because whenever I've been, it's immaculate. But he says, that, you know, the Isle of Man is now better than Switzerland. Now, that's one little organisation. So if we set an example with our energy strategy, you think about the timing's perfect. The power station's about reaching the end of its life. The energy from waste plants going to need replacing or, or something else. And we're all talking about green energy. This is a wonderful tip. This is the point where we could do something really special. And believe me, you know, it, you look at, you know, you talk about uh, this guy saying uh, America, uh, China, whatever. It's pockets in those areas which will make changes because in America there's 52 states, you know, so each state could say like California is big on electric cars at the moment, you know, in parts of China, they're trying to encourage uh, electric cars. Somebody suggested one time, and I think there is a plan under the radar about somebody flooding the Isle of Man from China with cheap electric cars as an experiment. Thank you Who very knows? much indeed to all of our guests for all of your contributions this afternoon. Um, and thanks for listening. Join us again next week.